Okay, we're starting here on the two dots on the top of Kuf Mem Bet Amud Aleph. Just before we start, quickly, the Gemara here is going to discuss today principles that we've seen before in the Gemara on Shabbat. One of them is what we call basis ledavara sur, something that's a base to something that otherwise is a sur on Shabbat. Then we know that basis ledavara sur is a sur. One cannot interact. One cannot carry. It becomes muksa this basis ledavar ha'asur. Question of why a basis ledavara sur becomes a sur. It is important, and it will become important in our sugya, we'll see why. So there are different opinions as to why a basis ledavar asur is asur. Is it because the basis takes on the properties of the isur that's sitting in it, and therefore it becomes asur? And even that you could say in one of two ways. You could either say that it itself becomes li shemlachto the isur, because it has isur on it, and servicing the isur, that's one possibility. Or you could say that it now is asur because it becomes an extension of the muksa that's above it, subordinate to the muksa and therefore it becomes an extension of the muksa. Or the other way to say it, which the Chumat Adeshin suggests is that when you go into Shabbat, talked about this a number of times, each Kli takes on a default status. And you can change that by having something in mind, by indicating that the Kli should be for something else. By placing muksa on an item, you have now changed the status of this basis to something that's default, you won't move on Shabbat. Because you've now put it out of your mind that you're going to deal with this Kli. Why is this all important? Because today we're going to deal with the sugi of basis ledavar asur umutar. If you put some heter on there, then we know that the Gemara is going to tell us that basis ledavar asur umutar is mutar, that you can't move. The question is, what type of heter do you need on there? The type of heter you will need on there will be need to offset whatever you think the problem is with basis ledavar asur. So that's why I'm just giving a little background to basis ledavar asur, and from there we'll build the sugi. So the Gemara says, based on the Mishnah, the kalkala ve'even tocha, you have this basket that has a stone inside of it. Why is it that you're allowed to carry it? Why is it that you're allowed to carry this basket around if it has a stone in it? The stone is muksa. The basket becomes a basis asur. Therefore, you should not be able to engage with it on Shabbat. Dealing with a basket full of fruit. Now what do we have? We have heter, which is the fruit. We have iser, which is the stone. The Gemara says, suggests here that that would be mutar to carry. That's a basis ledavar. Hasur umutar. That's why you're allowed to carry it. Velishdinu lepeire venishde leeven. Why don't you spill out the fruit and the stone? Veniktretinu beyadayim. And then pick them up by hand. Meaning that you could regather them. You could disperse. Everything is in the basket. Recollect the fruit into the basket and you'll be without the stone. What the Gemara asks here, and it's going to come up a number of times the sugya shows you that the Gemara thinks that buses the davas or mutar is not the perfect way to deal with things. If you have a choice to get rid of the iser, we'd prefer that rather than carrying something that has a iser and heter in it. Unlike other things where we have it's mutar to take them on Shabbat, and despite that they are using some sort of dispensation over here, the Gemara keeps saying, try to avoid it, try to avoid it, try to avoid it. The way the Ritva formulates it is, As much as you can try to get rid of this Yisur, you're going to try, and that's what the Gemara is asking you to do here. So Gemara says, Because here it's similar to the case, again, we're going to see this in one second, in the next piece of the Gemara, that we're dealing with perot hamitanafim. Talking about fruit that is mushy, that would get dirty. So hachanami biperot hamitanafim. Also our case over here is talking about fruit that's going to get dirty or ruined by spilling it out. That takes away the option of spilling it out and separating them, because if you spill them out, you'd ruin the fruit, and you can't do that. So let's pour them out. Either you could pour them out into another basket and the stone would stay behind or the other way around. You could shake them around until the stone falls out. One of the two, you can do it in a way that 
gets rid of the stone. So you know, in that area, you do it at tilt them and it's sad a little bit, get at the stone, or you get out the fruits into another basket. Now this answer seems to be starting from scratch again. This is a totally different answer and says, no, over here we're dealing with a basket that has missing a part to it. There's a hole in it, missing a wall. The Evan Grupa Nasi Dolphin Lakalkala. So that the stone itself now becomes a part of the basket. The reason you're allowed to carry this basket with the stone is because the stone is functioning as a basket now. It's basically lost its shame muksa because... It's not functioning like most. It's not useless anymore. It became useful on Shabbat because it's a part and parcel of the basket. We've seen this again earlier in the Mesechta as regards to a stone in the bucket when you join the water. The question was, if it was used as a weight in the gourd to take it down into the water, if it was loose, then it remained muksa. If it was embedded in the gourd, then it wasn't muksa because it became part and parcel of the water bucket. So now, this is where the Rishonim talk about question of basis ledavrasar on the basis ledavara mutar. The Rashba over here says, why is it that the Gemara is going down this path? And then the Rashba says, I, I have other examples in the Masechta where we don't require this. He says, if the stone over here is insignificant, if it's so insignificant, then why do you need Heter there at all? We have an example of that earlier in the Masechta with a dustpan that had ashes in it. Gemara says over there, what's the big deal? Pick up the dustpan even though it has ashes in it. Even though the ashes were Dabar Asur, they were so insignificant that you could pick it up without any heter in there. So if it's insignificant, you shouldn't be able to pick it up. On the other hand, if it is significant, then it shouldn't matter if you put heter in there because we have examples of money. Earlier in the Masechta, we had Matbiot, money that was put on the Mukhni. Remember, we discussed this with the wagon under the wheel. The money was sitting on the wheel, and the wheel became buses the Dabar Asur, even though there was heter on the Mukhni. Despite that fact, the money made it a sore to move this mukhni. If that's the case, if this is so significant, then adding heter shouldn't make a difference. The Ramshabu actually does is comes up with three categories of buses the Dabra Asur. And he says the heter will only help in one of those categories. There's a category where you have something of each sur that's insignificant. Over there, you don't need anything else. That's sufficient to say you can carry the item, like the ashes inside of the dustpan. You have another category where the muksa is so significant that you can't override it. You can't change the fact that this is a buzzes over a sur, even if you put heter in there. That's like money. Coins that are in the basket, coins that are on something, that even if you put heter on there, it's not going to help you anymore. There's this in-between status, and that's what the Gemara is discussing here, is a stone. If you have a stone in the basket, then it's not so significant, but it's also not insignificant. So there, if it's by itself, it causes the basket to be a busis l'davar asur. If you bring in heter, then the heter can override the stone, and then you'll have a busis l'davar asur umutar. Oh, so very good. That's the main the question. The right, that's the million dollar question. The Ritva, on the other hand, says, Afilu mide da'alma. So here the Ritva gives the first answer to your question, which is, the Heter can be anything. There is no relationship between the Easter and the Heter. As long as you have any Heter there, the Ritva says, it's okay, you're ready to go. You can move it. There is no value equation between them. There's no significance equation between them. Any Heter whatsoever, you can carry a bus of the Dabara, a Surve Heter. Most of the other Rishonim or Achonim believe that you do need some sort of equation between the Heter and the Isur. We had that early in the Masechta as well when we had in that same Suga with Shivrei Etzim. With the Etzim that are together with the Kitma in the dustpan. Over there, the Gemara says that it was a 
galonita. The reason that it was so significant in that place is because the betilot, the leftover betilot were galonita. The Rashi and Tosavot argue about what that is and it impacts on this sugya. But the two possible equations of what you need here is either you need heter that on a value basis is equal to the isur. That's one way to frame it. The other way to frame it is it has to do with the person's interaction with the item. It's not an objective standard of value. It has to do with the person's subjective value that he would place on this item. So if you need this more, that gives it more significance, even though it has less value. That's suggested by the Rabbeinu Tam, the Rivash takes a similar approach, that it has to be, Heter has to be more valuable than the Sur, but it's a Heter that is determined by your subjective value, your subjective assessment of the item. Now you could connect to what I said before, the reason that a bus is a Dabar Asur is a Sur to the need for the Heter over here. If you believe that a bus is a Dabar Asur becomes a Sur itself, the basket itself becomes a Sur, just because you have Heter in there doesn't really help you out. It doesn't do anything for you because baskets taking on the properties of the Sur because of the significance of the Sur. Therefore you would require a Heter that was objectively just as good or better than the Isur in order to change the fact that it's being mavatel the Kli underneath it, or it's making the Kli beneath it Asur. That might be the approach of Rashi and others that say that you need an, a real value equation that says relative to the Isur, the Heter is more valuable. On the other hand, if you believe that the whole problem here is your mindset, how you interact with the item, and is that you're mavatel midatcha, this item, because there's Isur in it, now, if you put in something that's Heter that is more significant to you, then going into Shabbat, you're not going to put this item out of your world of Shabbat. Because you have something in there that you really want, even though it's less valuable than the Yisur, but you want it on Shabbat, you're not going to put this Kuli out of your mind. And you would take that to the extreme with the Ritva. The Ritva says any Heter in there already brings it into your world of Shabbat. And that's why you don't need any equation between the Yisur and the Heter. This comes up on Shabbat with regards to putting the candles on the table and not making the table into a bustis to davar. Ha-asur, because once the candles on them, they become a bus as the Dabar Asur. The suggestion of the Rivash and others is to put Tala on the table or on the candlestick tray. Question is, does that work? Does that help you? Because the Chala is obviously worth less than the candlesticks. And therefore, why is it that it works in this situation? So many suggest that is because the Chala is more significant to you. Since the Chala is more significant to you, because you want it for the Suda then that makes the equation that the challah is on par with the candlesticks, and that takes away this buses of our asur. One of the things that Mishabura mentions, other mentioned that the only thing that's asur in the candlesticks is the flame. So the relative value is not against the whole candlestick, because that candlesticks are also a buses of our asur. The relative equation is between the isur and the heter. The isur here is a flame. The heter is the challah, and that's an easy equation to make. That's one of the suggestions. The other is that the Rivash makes a suggestion that it's the equivalent of making a Tanai. You're allowed to, going into Shabbat, make a Tanai, for instance, candlesticks, that when the candles blow out, you'll be able to move them later on. You can make a condition. The Shukhanach passes, you can make such a condition. The Ramah says you cannot make such a condition, where it can turn Ois Muksa middle way through Shabbat, if you intend that way up front. So the Rivash suggests that this works based on the Ramban, suggests that you make a Tanai. That putting the Chala on the tray is as if to say, that when I go into Shabbat and the candles blow out, I don't want this to be a sur anymore. So that way, not only do you have the heter there, you elevate the heter against the sur, because the sur is going to disappear later on, because you put this condition in it. Meshat we rely on that tonight. Others mention also the problem of maybe on Benesh Meshot, when you make the muksa, the most important item for you, Benesh Meshot, is the candles. Because you need candles lit at Benesh Meshot, you don't need challah at Benesh Meshot. You need the challah for the suda later on. So therefore they want to argue that the candles are more important, and you can't use this hat there. 
And the Magen Avram, the Mishabur argue against that and say that this works. The Mishabur Paskins that you can put the challah, and most of them suggest you should put the challah in there first. We put the challah down first, because then that definitely sets the standard for what this is, and then only later on you bring in the candles, so it stands the thing as a double head there first, and then only add the Easter later, which is a better setup, or better scenario than putting the Easter first and then the head there after the fact. That comes up in terms of the question, can you put head there on after Shabbat starts. If there's Easter on it, can you make it a blessed of our mutar after Shabbat starts? Almost everybody agrees that's not the case. You can now put it on. The only case where it might work is where the thing became muksa in the middle of Shabbat. Where you have a muksa that, what's called muksa the chatzi Shabbat. Something that becomes muksa in the middle of Shabbat where we're choshesh for the shitot there. In that instance, since the muksa only came into existence, so the bustis only came into existence during Shabbat, we would be the hakel to put on heter on Shabbat itself. In order to make it a bus of the Asur Mutar, if you really needed to move it. Yeah, exactly. Anything that is holding it up becomes a part of the buses there. So there, the tray will be Asur and so will the table. They'll both be a bus of the Dabar Asur. Could separate. I mean, if you put the challah on the tray versus the challah on the table, it would make a difference about which buses you are being matir. If you put the challah on the tray, you, then it'll help the table as well. Right. But if you put it on the table and not the tray, then the tray will remain Asur, just the table you can move now. Mitaltalim truma. You're allowed to carry truma on Shabbat. Amrav chista loshana elishit tahora lamata utmei alamala. This reflects what I just said before. But we have an option to avoid. But since the davar asur mutar, we're going to avoid it, and that's what the Gemara is doing right now. She says this is only true when the tahora, the truma tahora is on the bottom, and the truma tmei is on top. So in order to move the truma tahora, you got to move the truma tmei. If you have Shuma Torah on top and Shuma Tmei on the bottom, Shukalei the Torah, Just take off the Torah on the top. What are you bothering to carry the Tmei for? Just take off the top layer, which is the stuff that you want, and walk with it. Why do you have to get involved with Easter at all? Even on the Torah is on the bottom. Why is that okay? Spill it out, and then you'll leave the Tmei behind, and you'll pick up the Torah. So Amr Rabbi Amarav, this is the original part of this statement which we co-opted to use in the previous Gemara, which is Beperot Amitanafim Askinan. We're dealing with fruits that would get dirty, and therefore you can't just spill them out and take what you want and leave behind what you don't want. Here we have a brighter that is explicit. We have Trumatora and Tmea in a single vessel. Or trumat me'an chulin in a single vessel. Obviously, the chulin and Torah are mutar to use on Shabbat. The tmei are not being mutar to use on Shabbat. And yet, the brayta says it's irrelevant whether it's on top or the bottom. You're allowed to move the kli, and that undermines the thesis of Rav Chista, who just suggested that the difference between being being on the top and the bottom is whether you have this heter. If it's on the bottom, then you have the heter because you're going to have to move the tmei anyway. So therefore, you can pick up the whole kli and move it. And then if the Torah is on top, just pull out the Torah. Why are you moving the Tmeya? So I'm going to Rav Chista. Rav Chista says, you know, you're making a mistake. You're matnitan l'tzorach kufo, b'raita l'tzorach mikomo. Our Mishnah is dealing with a heter of tzorach kufo. The b'raita is dealing with a heter of tzorach mikomo. There are two reasons why you might want to move this item over here on Shabbat. You might want to move it because you want the Shumat Torah. That's tzorach kufo. There's another reason you might want to move this is because you want the space where it's sitting. You want to move this out and you want to utilize the space where it's sitting right now. So the difference will be when you use or utilize these heterim, how does that impact on what you're allowed to move? If it's for Torah Gufo, then your focus is solely on getting the Shumat Torah. That's our Mishnah. And that's what Rav Christa qualified and said, well, if the, all you're interested is in the Torah, if the Torah's on top, just take the Torah out and you'll get what you want without engaging in the Tmeah. Uh, on the other hand, if it's on the bottom, you have to engage with the Tmeah anyway, so we'll allow you to lift the whole clay and move it over. 
On the other hand, the Brita is saying that you want it to Tzorach Mikomo. You want the Truma Torah out of here because you want to clear the space and use it. Well, that's not going to suffice to take out the Truma Torah. If you want the space, you want the Truma Tmei out and the Truma Torah out. So in the case of Tzorach Mikomo, it won't matter whether it's on Torah's on top or on the bottom. You want everything out. Then better to carry the Kli with the Heter and the Isur in it than to separate the two. Because by separating the two, it's not going to help you. And then you have the Isur by itself, and that may be more problematic in terms of moving it. So then, in Sarach Mekomo, it's irrelevant which way it's set up, you can move it out. But that means that Rav is suggesting that our Mishnah is a case of Tzarech Kufo, and that's what the Gemara asks now, My What pressed Rav Chista to say that our Mishnah is talking about a case of Tzarech Kufo? How does he know that? Maybe our Mishnah also is talking about a case of Tzarech Mekomo, and it should be moved there in both instances. Our Mishnah, you could infer, deduce from the Mishnah that he is correct. That is, Diktani Seifa, because the latter half of the Mishnah says, Ma'ot Shakar, if you have money that is on a pillow, Minna Eretakar, no float, you shake off the pillow, and the money falls off. That's only true if it's Sarkufov. You can move it with the money on this. We've spoken about this also before because when you have the money on the pillow, if you want the pillow, and that's all that you want here, then we opt for you dumping the money because that's tiltum in side, get rid of the muksa, and then you carry the pillow without any problem. On the other hand, if it's Sarkumikomo, Dumping the money doesn't solve your problem anymore because you want the money and the pillow out of here. So we tell you, carry everything and take it out. So that's the case of the seifa. In the seifa, it's clear that the qualification is that it's a tzorach kufo case and that's why you're dumping the money. Well, if the seifa case is a case of tzorach kufo, me the seifa, the tzorach kufo, reisha, now me the tzorach kufo. And it makes sense that Rav Chista would suggest that our mission is talking about a case of tzorach kufo. Rav Yudomer, af ma'alin, you're allowed to take out the truma from Dimua on Shabbat. We discussed this again yesterday in the Mishnah. Dimua is a case where you have Truma and Chulin mixed up. Midah Torah, again, if the Chulin is the rov, then it's Mevatel, the Truma, and you could eat this, there's no problem with it. Midah Rabbanan, they impose the higher threshold on mixtures, including Truma, that they have to be at least, whether it's 100 to 1 or 101 to 1, of Chulin, negative Chuma, in order for the Chuma to be Batel. The basic thesis is what falls back in is the amount that you would separate. That's enough to make it problematic. So that's a general principle they use here, and therefore it's 100 to 1 by Chuma, and by things like Orla and Gilaim, it's 200 to 1. Those are Midra Banan, what you need for Bittel. So over here, he has less than 100 of Chulin, and the Chuma falls in there. Now we have Dimua. Dimua may not to be eaten until Midra Banan, you pull out the Chuma that fell in. So if you have one sa'ah of chuma that fell into this mixture, you have to pull out a sa'ah, make that into chuma, give that to the Kohen, representing the chuma that fell in there. And then afterwards, the dimua is fine. Again, midoraita, this whole thing is fine. It's an imposition to Rabbanan. And again, the imposition includes removing chuma from it. So what Rabbi Yehuda suggests in our Mishnah is that you let us separate out that chuma on Shabbat. And the question is, why? Am I? Why can you do that? He now makes the food edible on Shabbat. And we know you're not allowed to take off chuma to masrot on Shabbat for exactly this reason. You're changing the status of the food to edible from what before was a sewer. The Rehuda, Rebbe Eliezer, Svirlei. Rehuda holds like Rebbe Eliezer. The Gemara is going to make three suggestions as to which opinion Rebbe Yehuda is following. First try is Rebbe Eliezer. Da'amar truma be'ena machto. So he says that the truma is sitting there literally. That means that whatever you pull out is literally the truma that was supposed to come out. It's waiting for you. As if it's waiting for you. It's not. Rebbe Mishnah. Sa'a truma, shnaflala pachot mimea. 
They have a saw worth of chumah that fell into less than a hundred. Vidnid mi'u. They become dimor now. And then from this mixture, it falls into another location of chulin. vadai. He says it's the equivalent of whatever falls out. That's the chumah. And it's as if it's chumah vadai. It only works on a ratio or relative basis. So the chachamim are easy to understand. If you have one sa'av, chumah that falls into 50 of chulin, and then that mixture falls into more chulin, we don't say that you now have a, a, a chumah vadai. We say that you have a mixture of 1 to 50. And whatever falls in is now in that relationship or ratio of 1 to 50. And then you now look at the new chulin that it falls into. If in the new area that it falls into, there's 50 chulin, and this mixture falls in, then you'll be mevatalit, because now you have 100 chulin, negadi chuma. On the other hand, according to Rabbi Eliezer, it's as if that chuma is sitting separate from the chulin, and not mixed in. If that's the case, when it falls in, it's as if you have now this chuma falling in, by itself, to the mixture, the new mixture, or whatever it falls into. So we look at the chuma as if it's chuma vadai, because you have to take off chuma now, and that chuma that you're going to separate becomes like chuma vadai, and that chuma vadai, when it falls into the new mixture, then it's oser, as if you have chuma vadai there. Because of that, if one sa'ah falls out of this basket into a new grouping, if you only have 99 chulin, it won't work. That's it. You're back to square. We have one chuma against 99. It doesn't help you. But what you see from Rabbi Eliezer is, as if the chuma is separate. It's as if the chuma is sitting as a separate entity. Because that's why it's called chuma vadai here. Because we don't consider it to be a mixture or a ratio. We consider it to be separated out. Because you have to separate out chuma from this group, it's as if the chuma is sitting there and is be'en. Quite to chamim, if saw comes out of it, that means one fiftieth of that sa'ah is truma. The other forty-nine fiftieths are chulin, like the nature of the mixture, like the ratio of the mixture. According to the other, that one saw that falls out, that was the sa'ah that you were supposed to take off for truma. Well, if that's the case, the suggestion of the Gemara is that Rabbi Huda is subscribing to the position of Rabbi Eliezer. Therefore, on Shabbat, you're not metakein. The truma is sitting separately. It's already as if separated. It's sitting by itself. So that's not metakein. You have the truma here. You have the chulin here. You're just taking what's already separate. You're just separating them more. So the Gemara asks Roni's question. Wait. Who says Rabbi Lezer would extrapolate or extend that din to something that is the kula? He's saying the chumrah, where it'll cause more dimua, it'll be like truma that causes a problem for bitul. But who says he would say it the other way around, which is, we say, oh, the kula too, you can take it out on Shabbat. He never says that. The only statement from Rabbi Lezer is putting it the tzad chumrah. Maybe that's where he says it. Maybe he's hoshesh for that problem. And therefore he'd only say it, it's chumrah, but not the kula. Ella, here's our second suggestion as to who Rabbi Yehuda is holding like. The Amar to Rabbi Shimon. He holds like Rabbi Shimon. It's Gnan. Sa'ad shumah, shinafla the me'ah. If a sa'ad that falls into a hundred, v'lo he speak lag bi'ah, ad shinafla acheret. You weren't successful at taking that out, or the representative chuma out, before another one falls in. Harizu asura. That is problematic in asur. Rabbi Shimon Matir. On the other hand, Rabbi Shimon says it's mutar. Now, why does Rabbi Shimon say mutar versus the Tanakhama says it's asur? So the difference again will be how you view the mixture that's there. So according to the Chachamim, you have a mixture. Now you have, we have one to a hundred. The next one falls in. Now you have two to a hundred. And you have a mixture that's mixed up. And now you have a problem. It's asura because it went from one to a hundred to two to a hundred. And now it's asur. On the other hand, according to Rabbi Shimon, one falls in. We look at it as if it's separate again. We look as if what the chuma that you need to take out is already separated. And when the next one falls in, it's falling into the chulin that's there, the 100 chulin that's there. And it has no relationship to the first chuma that fell in. I would have said it that way. The way I would have phrased it, and this is not the way the Gemara is learning it, clearly 
I would have said that by the Chachamim, they say it's Choser Vineor. The one that fell in is still there, and then the second one falls in, you have two to a hundred, and you have a problem. According to Rabbi Shimon, the first one fell in, it's Batel. It's no longer a Shuma, it's part of the hundred now. And then when the next one falls in, it's Kama Kama Batel. Problem is, that's not what the Gemara is after. The Gemara is after having this Shuma be separate. And that's why the way Rashi explains it, and the way that the Gemara lays it out here, is that the Chachamim believe that it's a mixture. And then when the next one falls in, it continues to be mixed together. Rabbi Shimon, on the other hand, views the Shuma as being isolated. Not in the mixture. And therefore, when the second one falls in, it's batel because the truma is already separated out. The first truma that's there is as if taken out already. And now you just have the chulin left, and then it falls into the chulin, and it's mevatel the chulin. Again, the gemara is after the fact that if it's already separated out, or if you view it as separated out, then you should be able to take it off on Shabbat. And here it's the Tzad Kula. Rabbi Shimon is Matir in this case, and so it's the Tzad Kula, so maybe this should work as our basis for review this position. The Gemara says we might. But this is what they're arguing. Tanakam believes even if they fell sequentially, it's as if they fell simultaneously. So this one fell into 50, this one fell into 50, and therefore it's not Badel. First one was Batel when it fell into the hundred, and the next one has a hundred and one to be Mavatel it. So similar to the suggestion that David made before, the way that I would have explained Brighta, this is the way, but the Gemara is obviously trying to get to something else, and it comes around to what we would explain the Brighta is, that Rabbi Shimon's opinion is Kama Kama Batel, and the Chachamim's position is, you can see it as a mixture, and since it's a mixture, therefore it continues to be a mixture, and now you have 2 to 100 instead of 1 to 100. What you do see here, by the way, Tosfot points it out, Rashi makes the same note over here, there's a machloket rishonim in other places like Perkid and Nasheh, as to how much chulin you need negative chuma. When we say that it's 100 to 1, does that mean you need 100 chulin to 1 chuma? Does that mean you need 101 chulin to the 1 chuma? Because then you have excess of 100 over that. That Rashi over there says it's 101 to 1 instead of 100 to 1. This Gemara is almost explicit that it's 100 to 1. Because the example the Gemara brings over here is that it's 100 to 1. And it's Batel. It's only when it gets to the second one that it becomes problematic. So you see from this Gemara that it's 100 of Chulin to 1 Shuma is what is Mivatel. Ella Hudamar, here's our third attempt at getting Rabbi Yehuda basis for his position. He holds like Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar. Tanya, Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar Omer, You don't have to actually physically separate out the chuma or the Maser in certain instances. You can simply eat from one side and say that the chuma and the Maser are on the other side, and you won't be mafrishtim. So now you're not being mitakein then because you don't even have to take action. You don't have to actively remove the chuma from it. You just leave it in there, you eat it, and the chuma and the masir are left behind. It's as if they're separated, but you're just not. Correct. Separated. It's a heter because we're dealing chumot and masrot de rabbanan, and therefore you could take it off what we call the mafreya, retroactively. That is today in modern day kashrut, many of the organizations rely on that because the mashkiach who takes the chumot to masrot gets there and there's already fruits and vegetables been shipped out from the wholesaler or from whoever has them. So he takes off chumot to masrot, the mafreya, retroactively he takes them off when he gets there on everything that was shipped out already plus what was still in the warehouse. Generally we rely on this when we're dealing with Shemot and Masrot, me, the Rabbanan, being with Starif the Raivud who thinks there may be no Kedusha Ta'aretz anymore today. So using a tzirah for these items, a lot of Karshan organizations rely on this fact that you can do it. Lema Freya, if you want to be makpid, you should just go after the mashkiach gets there, and then you won't have that problem, because he would have been ready mafrish to chumot the masrel before you've gotten there, and then you won't have this issue at all. So then where is says, Omi Savar Kavate. Does Rabbi Yudha really subscribe to this position of Rabbi Shimon Al-Azhar? Miflag He argues directly on him. I mean, that we have a machloki between them and a bright to the Daniel. 
Rabbi Yehuda Omer, Malina ta Midumah Bechad Umeah. Rabbi Yehuda says that the Midumah, our case here, you can pull out the Truma from a mixture. Rabbi Shimon Alaz Omer, Notenina Bitzadzeh, Bechom Itzadacher. So you can put your eyes on this side and then eat the other side. So here you have Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Shimon Alaz are arguing explicitly in the Baraita. So how can you say that Rabbi Yehuda is built on the position of Rabbi Shimon Alazar? Rumor says, yes, that's exactly what it is. The Rabbi Huda Adifam and Rabbi Shimon Al-Azhar. He's Rabbi Shimon Al-Azhar plus. His argument is not on the principle of Rabbi Shimon Al-Azhar. He's makil more than Rabbi Shimon Al-Azhar. Rabbi Shimon Al-Azhar says that you can just say it's if. So Rabbi Shimon Al-Azhar says, I look at it as if there's some left on this side. I'm visually separated or I just think in my mind that it's separated and that's enough. Because I never actually make the separation. And since I can do it in my head, I can eat it on Shabbat because I'm not really being metakein. The metikun happened by just thinking. And therefore it's not a problem. Rabbi Huda goes one step further and says, since you can do it in your head, you could also physically do it. Since you could have done it in your head, and that would have been fine, so the stuff is already mitukan. So now when you go and physically take it out, you're just taking it out for something that's already mitukan. So he takes one step past from Shimon Lezer and says, well, if you can do that, then you can physically do it because the physical action doesn't have significance anymore once you can do it in your head. So he is built on top of this position of Rabbi Shimon Lezer, and that's the explanation of Yudah's position in the Mishnah. Right now, we have a Mishnah that we quoted earlier in the Masechta, that we dealt with uh, extensively earlier in Masechta, which is Eben Shalpiachavit. You have a stone that's left on top of a barrel of wine. Matel felet. You can tip the barrel over and have the stone fall off. Again, you have a stone that was left on top of the barrel. You can have a problem of Basisli Davara Asur. This Isur becomes a problem. So what you have to do is you have to tip it over to dump the stone off, and then you can pick up the barrel. Now really, if it was a Basisli Davara Asur, then the barrel would become a sewer. And then you could even pick up the barrel. So that the Gemara will get to. That's the qualification, the first line in the Gemara that we also had early in the Masechta. There's only a case b'shocheach, when he forgets it there. If he intentionally puts the rock there, then you have muksa, and it becomes a basis of asur, you can't move it. It's only when he forgot the rock there, that it does not become a basis of asur, and therefore you could tilt the head there, tilt him in to dump the stone off the barrel. What happens if this barrel is in the cellar amongst many other barrels? Well, if that's the case... You can't just dump the rock off. That's going to land on another barrel and cause damage or burst the other barrel that's there. So what you have to do is, pick up the barrel, so we give you a dispensation to lift it out of that area and then to tip it to dump the stone off of it. Right, now, we have the latter half of this Mishnah, which was quoted in the previous Gemara, which is, you leave money on a pillow, you can shake them off the pillow, and they fall off, and then you can take the pillow. If it has dirt on it, the pillow has any type of dirt that is maus on it, you're allowed to wipe it off with a cloth. Or, if the pillow was made out of leather, you can wash it down with water. You can't rub it up, but you can push water on it because leather does not get cleaned with water. It's not absorbent, so we don't worry about Libon or laundering on Shabbat when you pour water onto leather. What's obvious from here is that the previous case was not a case where you could put water on it. When you have the smart tooth, you can just wipe off the item. You cannot put water on there to soak it out because that would be a problem of libun. Shriato v'mayim is kibuso. So you can't put water on the pillow that has this mius in it. You can simply just wipe off the surface, whatever's on the surface. Amaravun amarav. So this is what we discussed in the Mishnah. That's only true when he forgets the rock on the barrel. If he intentionally places there, Naseh Basis L'Davar HaSur. Then it becomes a Basis L'Davar HaSur. How much in front of Shabbat you need to have put it there intentionally is a good question. According to, I think, the Chumat Adesh, and he thinks that if you put it there before Shabbat, even if it was way before Shabbat, that makes it into a Davar Isur, and you're really mevatel it from your mind. You're mevatel the Kli from your mind, and therefore it's a Basis L'Davar HaSur. 
many of the other poskim in the Magen Avram, I think, disagrees with this Trumat tradition and says that if you left it there, if you put it there on Thursday, Wednesday or Thursday, and then you forgot about it, that's the equivalent of forgetting it. Just because you put it there originally, intentionally, doesn't mean that you didn't forget it going into Shabbat. So the intentional placement is not the be-all, end-all. It depends how much before Shabbat that was. If it's far enough before Shabbat, you could forget that you put it there intentionally, then it becomes shocheach and not placing there. And obviously it has a big impact in terms of Isur. If you plan on putting an item there that's going to stay there through Shabbat, then it's definitely a basis to Asur. So if you put your wallet or your money in a certain location, you always put it there, and it's going to stay through Shabbat. You can't say, oh, I forgot my wallet there. That's your intent to put it there, even if you put it there way before Shabbat. Oh, so, right, so why isn't it a basis to Asur mutar over here? Why don't we say that? So that's a question that is difficult to deal with. One of the answers that's given is, either you view the cover to the barrel separately than the barrel, and the cover is the rock on it. And the cover has no header on it. That's one way to deal with it. The other way to deal with it is that in order to gain access to the wine, you have to take the cover off. And therefore, the rock is more significant than the wine at this point in time because you need the access to the cover and you're going to have to move the cover with the rock on it independent of the wine. Okay, Mantana, Who's the Tana that says, whenever you have a choice between engaging in Easter and Heter, we get engaged with the Heter and we don't engage with the Isur. It's Rabbi Shimon Gamliel. Because over here you have a choice. You could either take the rock off and get rid of the problem. Or you could pick up the barrel, tip the barrel over, and then dump the rock and get rid of the muksa. So the way Rashi faces it, in terms of tircha, in terms of effort, it would be much easier to just take the rock off. It would be less involved and it would be a simpler solution. Yet, over here, we're telling you, pick up the barrel and dump the rock. Do what is harder in order to not engage with the sewer. So that's the Gemara's question, or point of going to Rashi, is that Gemara is suggesting to do more effort, to do much more in the way of getting rid of the Yisur, rather than just dealing with the Yisur. So the Gemara here suggests that Rabbi Shimon Gamliel did not. Borer kidnit b'yom tov. Someone who's doing borer on legumes on yom tov. borer ochel ochel. The first one being the noun, and the second one being a verb. So you borer ochel, that you separate out the edible stuff, ve'ochel, and then you eat it. You do it like normally. We normally do it. You can pull out what seems to be the psolet. You take out the psolet, and then you can eat the ochel. Let me explain you this. between It's a case where the food exceeds the psolet. When the food exceeds the psolet, then Beit Hillel says, take off, you can take off the psolet. And Beit Shemai says, still, take out the ochel. On the other hand, on the other hand, if the item that you don't want is in excess of the item that you do want, that you take out the ochel. Our case is a case where it's as if there's more ochel than psolet. Psolet dummy. So the Gemara first suggests that this is parallel to that brighter that we had in Beitzah. Over here, our case is you have the wine and you have the stone. Right? The wine is much more than the stone. The ochel is merubal absolet. If that's the case, Rabbi Shimon Gamliel suggests that we have a head there from Shimon Gamliel that you should take off the rock on top because then you deal with the item that requires less tircha and it's the lesser of the two items. So why not, in that case, allow you to take the rock off? Why don't we allow you to take the rock off instead of picking up the barrel? That's the Gemara's question because we have Rabbi Shimon Gamliel who says deal with head there, not with the sewer. And when we say deal with heter, not the sewer, that is qualified by the question of which is more. If the, the heter is less, then we demand that you deal with the heter. 
if that was more, we allow you to take off the psolet and not worry about it and engage with the psolet. So also here, where the ochel, the wine barrel, the whole thing is much greater than the evan and the stones that there, let him just take the stone off and engage in the psolet and then remove it. Because the answer is, no, that's not the case here, because since you cannot gain access to the wine until you take off the stone, it's kipsolet nubal ochel. Because of this situation of, or where the stone is situated, it grants it more significance or a greater quantity in a sense, but even though it's not really quantitatively bigger, but it grants it as if it's quantitatively bigger because in order to access the wine, you have to go through the stone. So therefore, Rashi says, it's as if the psolet is greater than the ochel over here. So therefore, we demand of you to do more. Do more to get it out, which is even Beit agreed. When the psolet is greater than the ochel, you take the ochel out. So, so over here, you have to pick up the barrel and not the stone. That's the position of Rashi, and that's the way Rashi learns it. Tosafot rejects this understanding of Rashi. It says, Venu near the Ri. He says, and then Rashi ends up changing the gears in our Gemara. You see that little Aleph there. Bay the Mishka, lo Mishtaka le Yaina, the Shakala le Evan. Rashi takes out of the Shakala le Evan. Piece of the Gemara entirely because of his way of explaining the Gemara. So now, near the Venu Tam. Dechi ochem rubal psolet, hava psolet kebotel the gabe rubo. He says, whenever you have the ochel being greater than the psolet, the reason you're allowed to touch the psolet is because the psolet is batel to the heter. You have more heter, less psolet. So now psolet is no longer psolet. Because now everything becomes quote-unquote ochel, because the ochel is the greater in the number, and the psolet is batel to the ochel. So then it's batel to gavi rubo mutarlit lo mina ochel uzorko. And that's why you're allowed to take it out. For here, why don't we say the same thing? If the wine and the wine barrel are the greater quantity here, the stone's the smaller thing, then it should be Batel the Gabe the wine barrel. If it's Batel the Gabe the wine barrel, the stone should no longer be Muksa to pick up. It's Batel, and you should be able to just throw the stone away and be fine. The answer of the Gemara is no. Because the stone is blocking access to the item, it is the item that you have to get through to get there, the stone takes on added significance, and it's not Batel to the wine. It's not Batel to the barrel because it is blocking access, and if that's the case, it retains its shame Muksa, and that's why you can't take it out, and you have to pick up the barrel and dump it. That's the way Tosafot learns the sugya. He says that whole sugya in Beitza is determining whether something is muksa or problematic based on whether it's batel. Psolet is definitely batel to the ochel. If that's the case, you could throw the psolet out because it's not really muksa anymore. In our case too, it should be the same thing. The wine, the barrel, should make the stone batel, should make it insignificant, should be able to throw away the stone. The answer to the Gemara is that the stone takes on added significance here because of its location of where it's situated. Haita ben achaviot magbiaf. Amongst the other barrels, you can lift it up. Tanya, Rabbi Yossi Omer, Haita achavit munechet botzar. It's in a cellar. Oshak lezu kuchid munuchim tachta. Or you have glass utensils around it. Magbiyal makom acher, omatel tzida. You don't just pick it up here and dump it right there and then break the other barrels or the glass that's around it. You're allowed to pick it up, move it to a different location where it's safe to dump the stone, and then you dump the stone. Fino felet. And then you can take out whatever wine you need and put the barrel back where you got it from originally. Again, just a corollary or an extension of our Mishnah. And once you have it up and you're moving it, move it to where you want it. Don't dump the rock on things that are going to get ruined by it. You have money that's on a pillow. That's only true again where he forgot the money on the pillow. If you place it there intentionally, then it becomes a buses of our this is what we quoted in the previous Gemara. It's only true if you need the pillow. If you're after getting the pillow, then we tell you dump the money and take the pillow. If you want where the pillow and the money is, then you carry the pillow, keep the money on top, and move everything out of here. So the same din that was just mentioned by Rabbi Yochanan in the name of Rabbi Yochanan.
Okay, Maochal Karmina Air. Amarabosha, Shakach Anarki Bachatzer. If you left your wallet out in the Chatzer, Meniachalekinok, you can put a loaf of bread or a child on it, Umatatua, and then bring it back. Amravitzkak, Shakach Levena Bachatzer, you left out a brick in the Chatzer. Meniachalekinok, Umatatula, you put on bread on it or a tinok on it, then you can carry it in. Amrabiuda Bashila, Amrabi Asi Pamachat. They left out a huge basket or sack of money out in the Sratio. Rashi says it's a Rashut Rabim. And they asked Rabbi Yochanan what to do. Put a Kikaratin Ochan and carry it in. Obviously, if it's in Rashut Rabim, they have to do it Pachat Pachat Midalad Amot. They have to make Michitz of Neadam. They have to do it in some way that they were allowed to carry it in. This is all true when you forgot the item there. But if it was intentionally left there, you can't change its status on Shabbat. Adding the Kikar and Tinoch after the fact is not going to help you. If you're Shocheach, put the heter on it and we allow you to move it. Ravashi Amar, Ravashi says, says, The only time we allow it on Shabbat, put a Kikar and Tinoch on something to move it, is when we're dealing with the mate that we saw earlier in the Masechta, in order to carry the mate out, you put a kikar and kadavid, and then you can carry the mate out. And that dispensation is only for kvoda biryot, which is the mate. But other than that, we don't allow that dispensation to be used on Shabbat. Baya manach kapa akipe. Baya placed a spoon on top of these bundles, because the bundles are muksa, and then he puts the spoon on top of them to make them into heter. And Rava Manach Sakina Bar Yona. He put a knife on top of foul raw Yona meat that was outside. Umatatlan and carried it in. I'm Rav Yosef. Rav Yosef, who's a Bayez Rebbe, says, Kama Kharifa, Shmaita Tadarki. These guys, these young guys think they're really smart. That they put this stuff on it and then carried it in. That's only true when you forget the item there. But if you put it there intentionally, you can't carry it in. Even if you put heter on top of it afterwards. If I wasn't some person of stature, I wouldn't have to put this spoon on top of the bundles anyway. Because they are ruim to sit on them. Bundles are useful to sit on on Shabbat. Because, we've seen earlier in the Masechta, that people use them to sit on. The only reason they're not significant over here is because Bayou is a person of stature, and he wouldn't sit on these items. Whether it's a brick, or whether it's a bundle of straw, or something like that, he wouldn't sit on it. Other people would use them as seats, as a uh, prop to sit up on. He wouldn't do that because of his stature. So he was just doing the Fnimi Shudadin. He put some heter on there to move it. But technically, it really was mutar to move even without doing that. He just didn't want to be matter in front of people. Why do I have to put a knife on top of this meat? I could eat it raw. If I could eat the bird meat raw, then it's not muksan Shabbat. I don't have to put heter on it to move it. But because of his stature, he didn't eat it. From what Rav is suggesting is that only if you would eat it raw would it be mutar to move it on Shabbat. If you wouldn't eat it raw, then it wouldn't be. The memra. The Ravok Rabbi Huda you see from here is that Rava holds like a Yehuda in Muksa, that he thinks that items can become Muksa on Shabbat. Didn't Rava say to his servant, Tavali Baravza, may roast me up a goose on Yom Tov, and then throw out its intestines or its internal organs to the cats to eat. So now, that's a problem because, according to Rabbi Yehuda, if something was designated for Ochel Adam, that was made for a person's food going into Shabbat, you can't then say on Shabbat, I'm giving this to the animals. 
because it belonged to made for human consumption, that was its designation. If you want to change its designation on Shabbat, you have no lud here. You're making something a change in it, and you can't do that. Rashi says over here, why did Rubba give it to the cats and not just eat it? Why didn't, it was made for human consumption. Why didn't he just eat it? Why did he throw it away to the cats? So Rashi says something interesting. He says, It's not a Yom Tov food. It's a weekday food. It's not really for Yom Tov, and therefore he didn't eat it. It's very interesting Rashi that says, that because it's not roi for Yom Tov, then it falls out of the category of being Muchan the Adam. And, and since it's not Muchan the Adam, it's also not Muchan the Klavim for the animals. We have that principle that if an item, when it's coming into Shabbat, is not edible or ready for human consumption, you have this outside variable, which is called Yom Tov, and this is not a food of Yom Tov, since that Easter is preventing it from being edible for humans, it's considered to be muksa even for animals, because it's being inedible is not governed by the fact that it's rotten and you would give it to the Behemah, it's simply because of the Easter of Shabbat or Yom Tov. That's Rashi's interpretation. Others believe that that's not the issue over here, but that since it will go bad, or since it's an item that normally goes bad very quickly, and since it was Ro'oyli Adam when you came into Shabbat, and almost immediately it became not Ro'oyli Adam, you can't switch it over to become Ro'oy Le'Behemah. So whether you think it's the explanation of Rashi or the explanation of Tosafot, what you see from here is that Rava does not worry about this issue of Muksa. He's allowing Muksa to be given to the cats. That must obviously mean that he does not hold like Rabbi Huda, but rather like Rabbi Shimon. This isn't the problem of Muksa, and that's why he can throw it to the cats. So Atam came to Misrach, Datei Ilavei Metmol. Kameran says, no, no, no. He knew already. He knew already that he wasn't going to eat it on Yom Tov, because since it normally goes bad or rotten on Yom Tov, then he assumes that he's not going to eat it. And then even before Yom Tov, he had in mind to give it to the animals. Never entered the realm of human consumption. So, Akhanami Mistavra, that makes sense. The Rav of Rabbi Yehuda, the Rav holds like Rabbi Yehuda. The Darish Rav, Isha, Lotikanes, the Beit Ha'itzim, Litomahen, Ud. A woman should not go into the wood house, to the wood storage house, and take out a poker to use on Yom Tov. Ud, Shinishbara, Surla, Sikob, Yom Tov. And a poker that breaks on Yom Tov, you cannot put it into the fire, you can't use it as firewood. The fee, Shemesiki, Mikhailim, Vemisiki, Meshivregelim, Shwamina. The reason is because you're only allowed to Mesik, you're only allowed to stoke the fire or put as lighting into the fire, Kelim, which were Muchan from before Yom Tov, but Shivrei Kelim, which are Nolad on Yom Tov, that's Muksa, and Muksa you can't engage with, you can't use on Yom Tov. So you see from here that this woman is not allowed to do this because of a problem of Muksa, and Rava is the one making the statement. So it must be that he holds, like Rabbi Yehuda, of Muksa, not like Rabbi Shimon when there is no Muksa. The problem of this Ud, of breaking off the Ud, Rashi says that Stamei Tzim Lasakani Tiltul. I said it's a problem muksa. The seam are made for putting into the fire, not to use as a poker. So you're taking something that's muksa. Others suggest that that's not the problem. Like Tosafot, when you break off the piece to make it to the right size of a poker, you're making a keli on Yom Tov. And that's the problem here. It's not a problem of muksa. It's a problem of metaking kli or nirek and metaking kli. And that's why you can't take out the poker. So this has nothing to do with muksa. It's the second half of that statement of Rava that proves that he holds a muksa, not that first piece of the statement. Okay, we'll stop over here.